everybody excited to be in church today? Come on. How about this worship team? At all locations, can we make some noise? Say thank you to the worship team. And let's say thank you to our God, who we are building a foundation upon. Come on, make some noise. We love you guys. It's our honor to come together today as messed up, imperfect people and have the opportunity to build our lives upon the foundation of your love. We thank you for that. We thank you for what your son did on the cross to make that possible for us today. We love you, and uh, it's our honor to be here together and get to worship you, God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. High five somebody. Hug somebody. We have any first time visitors at any location? <laughs> hey, church, can we make some noise for our first time visitors at every single spot? If you're visiting with us, um, you can tell we, we get excited. We like to get excited. We are excited because as screwed up as we are, God still loves us and welcomes us and accepts us and changes us. And we want you to know that that's exactly how we feel about every single person who's joining at every single location, no matter what's going on in your life. I know it's weird to visit a church. I know it's awkward and, and, and you wonder things like, am I, am I dressed right? And then you come here and you go, I can wear anything. And, and, uh, and, but, but, you know, do I need to bring something with me and, and how do I act and when do I stand and when do I sit and what do I got to do? And, and we just want, if you're visiting, listen, just at every spot right now, just Man, just exhale. Just realize you're in a safe spot. You've already been prayed for. You're not crashing this party. We like to say this. You're the guest of honor at this party. You're the reason why we have a party. And so we're so glad you're here. So just be welcome. No expectations. Take all those expectations off yourself right now and just allow yourself to enjoy church. And as far as everybody goes, I just want to say, man, it, how about how about this? How about we all take a deep breath together? Because this this group right here, I don't know what's going on at Arvada. They are wound up today at Littleton. Let's everybody just. Well, that feels good, doesn't it? We got a big game this weekend. That's what I thought. Like like eight of you care. I asked Andrew before, I said, hey, if we put everybody in here on a polygraph test, how many people here actually care about the game this weekend? He said, 10% tops. And then look at that meathead. He goes, I'm just worried about the food. <laughs> I, I didn't even, my wife had to remind me. I know this is, this is terrible. It's just where I'm at in life. My wife had to remind me that it was Super Bowl weekend, partly because I'm busy, partly because our boys have, no joke, eight basketball games this weekend. Whoever is deciding like youth sports schedules in this part of the city has obviously never had children themselves because it's crazy. And so, um, but I was, I was, I was like, why am I not more excited about the Super Bowl? And, and someone even asked me today on my way in, what do you think about the game? And you know what I said? Go Broncos. That's what I think about the game. The, 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 I see a Chiefs hat right here. God bless you. You're going to need it. That Niners defense is naughty. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. 
Um, but Patrick's a freak, so we'll see what happens. Somebody's like, please, is he going to talk about the Bible? Um, I think the Super Bowl is kind of like a wedding. Um, there's really only two small groups of people who actually care about what's going on, and everybody else is watching out of obligation. And I would rather watch commercials than actually what you're doing. So um, Matthew 7, verse 25 in the message version says this. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. Today, we are going to continue something that I introduced to you a few weeks ago. I told you that the theme for this whole year was going to be this, these three numbers, one, six, seven. And we actually made some swagtastic church merch and a bunch of you bought it up because I see a bunch of you wearing it. This is one of them. And, and I sent some to Uncle Jimmy, Uncle Jimmy Rollins in Baltimore, who, by the way, will be back with us soon. And he said, man, this stuff's, this stuff's nice. He goes, but what's the one, six, seven? I said, Jimmy, get this. There's 168 hours in a week. We only spend one of them in church together. So what we want to do is we want to get so serious about what we do here. We want to get so anchored in our faith and in our God and what we do here that the 167 hours that we're not here actually starts to look different. We actually start to live life to the fullest and begin to walk in our calling in the 167 hours that we're not in church. He's like, oh, that's dope. I was like, I know. It was Doug's idea, but I've been claiming it, so. <laughs> and so today we start what's maybe, I don't know, like a, like a sub-series. We're going to tag a lot of our series this year with 167, but we're calling this sub-series Take Home Faith. And I said that we were going to start really diving into four things in particular, four things that will help us begin to build our foundation of faith with our Creator God. And go ahead and put those up. They are prayer. The word, worship, and locking arms with the right people. And, and, and the reason we're calling this series Take Home Faith is because I don't want you to see these things. Too often we see these things as things that we do in the one hour that we're at church. And what I want to do is I want to start to transform all of our minds this year. These aren't the things we do at church. These are the things we get excited about, equipped to go home and do in the 167 hours that we're not here. These are this, this take home stuff. Our game's got to travel if we want to live differently this year. It won't be enough to just come here and for an hour be like, yeah, I'm pretty focused on God for this hour. And I'm going to pray a few times because well, they're going to make me, but I'm going to pray. And listen, if this is the only time of the week that you're really getting into the word, it just won't be enough when the storm hits. It's got to go home with you. This stuff's got to travel. For too long, too many of us Christians, if you say, what's worship? You know what almost everyone says? Half of the church service. That's worship. Because that's what we do, half of the church service. It's when these guys get up here with the microphones and they turn the lights down and the smoke and the lights and the sound system and the whole, that's worship. And if this is the only time that you worship, I'm telling you, it won't be enough when the storm hits. It's got to travel. It's got to go home with you. If this is the only time in your week that you get to lock arms with other believers, it won't be enough because when the storm hits, you probably won't be here. That part of your game has got to travel. You've got to learn to lock arms with other believers when you're not at church so that you can begin to experience what God wants you to go, where he wants to, wants to take you. 
And so that's what this whole concept is, this 167 thing and this, this idea of take-home faith. That sound good? Are you guys excited about where we're going this year? I saw this picture online. I don't even remember like how I stumbled across this article, but I saw this picture and don't put it up yet. But I saw this picture and it was like, I was like, man, that's it. Like that, that's the mental image that I want our whole church to have of this 167 concept of this take home faith of this idea that I am building my life on a foundation. I'm building my life on the foundation of the rock. And when the storm hits, I won't be moved. In fact, I might be bruised. I might be broken, but after the storm's long gone, I'll still be standing and I'm going to be stronger than I was before the storm ever set in. So this is the, this is the mental picture. I want you to start to get about your life. Some of you are in a storm right now and some of you You'll be in one at some point. This is the mental picture that I want you to start to get right now about your life. Go ahead and put that picture up. This was a, uh, a, an article in the New York Times, and it talks about how in 2018, we had one of the craziest hurricanes that our country has seen, and, and it killed many people. This hurricane did over $25 billion worth of damage. But they did this whole write-up on this one particular house because this one house just seemed to not be affected in that part, on that part of the beach, like everything else. And so they did this, this big write-up on it. And so I'm reading the article, and wouldn't you know it, they start interviewing the builders of this house. And they said the very, and they started saying, like, how is this possible? How's your house still standing? Like, everything else is decimated. And your house, yeah, there's chipped paint and there's some shutters missing, but like, it's still there. And they said, let me tell you why. And the first thing they did is they started talking about the foundation. They said, our foundation's different. We built the foundation of this house different. And they started talking about how far they went down with the pylons and how it allowed it to elevate the house in a different way. The reason this house is still there is because the foundation's different. And I want you to be able to look back after 2020. And if you went through some stuff, I want you to be able to go, yeah, I went through some stuff. And I got to be honest, that storm would have taken me out before. But now I got a different foundation. So now I'm still here and I'm stronger than I was before that storm rolled in. Zoom in on that picture, would you? Something else really caught my attention as I was looking at this. See, sometimes, and I've even felt guilty about, because I've just felt like this is where God wants us as a church to go this year. We're going to start going deep this year. We're going to change the foundation that our lives are built upon. And if we're not careful, that starts to feel selfish, right? Like, I thought we were a church about reaching prodigals. Now we're going to focus on us all year? No, no, no. Understand this. Focusing on your own foundation is the farthest thing in the world from being selfish. You know, the, you know the second best house on the entire beach? The one right behind it. The owners of the house right behind it. Do you know how much they were thanking God for the foundation of the house in front of them? Do you know how many times they said, thank you, God, that guy had a different foundation? Listen, we start to change the way we approach our God. We start to make prayer something that doesn't happen here. It goes home with me. It's what I do. I get in the word at home. I worship at home. I lock arms with other believers all throughout my week. We start to change our foundation. Storms roll in. It not only allows us to stay grounded, it allows us to turn back and to pull somebody into safety with us. You're called to somebody in your life right now. 
Some of you are watching this online and you're pastors or you're in ministry. You're called to a whole bunch of people. And I want to tell you, it's not enough for us people in ministry to just spend time with God for sermons. We need a foundation, pastors, because we're called to pull a whole bunch of people into safety when the storm comes. But some of you, your parents, you're going to be parents. You got classmates, you got people at work, you got people in your family, you got people in your neighborhood. They're going to rely on your foundation when their storm hits. It's not selfish, church. It gives us the opportunity to thrive in hard times, but to also to take somebody else and help them experience peace and joy and freedom in tough times. This foundation stuff is not selfish. It's about building our foundation and then changing the world. That's what I get excited about. Somebody excited about that in here today? All right. There's a, there's a line in this article. Go ahead and put it up on the screens. As I was reading it, it said this. It said, we wanted to build it for the big one. He said, we just never knew we'd find the big one so fast. And doesn't that describe all of our lives? Right? If you're in a storm right now and we were to walk around whatever campus you're at and hand you the mic and go tell us about it, you'd probably say it rolled in one day real unexpected, right? That's the way it works. That's why if you're not in a storm, see, so, so many times I do this as, as a Christ follower, when I'm not in a storm is when we're most tempted to take our foot off the gas when it comes to my relationship with God, right? If you're not in a storm, start working on that foundation. Put your foot back on the pedal and press it to the floor and start building that foundation because storms come out of nowhere and you want to be ready when it gets there, right? And if you're in the middle of a storm, listen, with God and his kingdom, you can start building the foundation today, even if the storm's already hit. That's the good news with God. But they were, they were very aware. We don't know when the big one's coming, but we got to have a different foundation when it shows up. When the church first started, 15 years ago, in January, February, we had somewhere around 50 people who called Red Rocks Church home. And of those 50 people, there was an amazing couple. In fact, they'd actually been at one of our prayer meetings before we'd even launched our first service, an amazing couple by the name of Jason and Adrian Graves. And me and Jill became good friends with them, and we just love them and still love them today. And uh, they... They were, she was pregnant and she had baby Noah and life was good until it wasn't because a storm rolled in and nobody saw it coming. And all of a sudden, baby Noah's not doing so hot and maybe we should take him to the doctor and see what's up. And then we blinked and they hadn't left the hospital for weeks and we were like in the hospital having dinner with them and praying with them and and then we blinked and, and months went by in the hospital and then we blinked and uh, me and Chad and Scott and BZ and Todd, we were vacuuming the floors and moving chairs around our little auditorium to have our very first ever Red Rocks Church funeral. And uh, I listened to Jason and Adrian speak at the funeral and they, they stood up on our little stage and they said they talked about how good our God is and they talked about how they weren't gonna they weren't gonna spend the rest of their life being mad at God 
but they were already seeing his faithfulness and they were already seeing other people coming to salvation through Jesus because of the life and death of their son. And, and I, I sat there as the pastor of the church and I sat there and I did what I just heard someone down here say, wow, how do you do that? How do you go through every parent's worst nightmare and stand up and talk about how good your God is? I'm telling you, church, they had a different foundation because they're still praising God today. You talk to them today, they'll still tell you how good their God is. They're still doing ministry with their lives today. They're still worshiping him today. But see, I know Jason and Adrian, and prayer wasn't something that happened at Red Rocks Church. It was something that they took home with them and happened nonstop in their house. Worship wasn't part of a church service. It was a way of living. The word of God wasn't something that they were going to wait for me to teach them about. They knew more, way more about it than I ever did. They had a different foundation. They locked arms with other believers through the whole thing. Me and Jill had the honor of being some of them. The foundation was different. And I watched them go through this and I went, I don't know if I could. I'm telling you, that's the kind of foundation that we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of foundation where our life is built on a relationship with our creator and it doesn't matter what this world throws at us. We'll stand through it. Right. Or we'll come out on the other side a little bruised and a little broken, but stronger and in absolute amazement of what our God brought us through. That's what I want for you this year, church. That's what I want. That's where we're going. But I'm telling you, it has to be an experience. When I'm talking about prayer and the word and worship and really locking arms with other believers, unfortunately for a whole bunch of us in this church who would say, this is my church family, those are concepts, truthfully. Like, like making it actually a part of my life consistently, I've heard about that. I know some people who say they do it. I hear them talk about it at church. I know about it. I don't actually do it. And I just want to remind you that knowing about something and actually doing something like are two completely different things, aren't they? Right? You ever talk to somebody who's about to get married and they know everything about marriage? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, yeah, I know, I know. We read that book. Yeah, then we got that. <laughs> uh-huh. You can read all the books in the world you want. You can watch every romantic comedy that ends in a happily ever after. You can talk to all the married people you want. Go get married for six months, then come talk to me. You'll be like, I didn't even see that coming. I didn't even know. I remember me and Jill's first big fight. I was like, at this point, I usually slam something and go home. And now I'm home. And our apartment's too small to go to neutral corners. Like, I don't even know what to do right now. Like, I didn't see that coming. You can read all kinds of books about having a kid. I just heard some people down here go, oh my, you got teenagers, huh? Whoo. Whoo. That's a whole, I need a hug. Somebody have two teenagers. I've never had more people roll their eyes at me in my life. You can read all the books you want about having a kid. And me and Jill, we read books about having kids and we watched, we would, we would rent movies where in the movie we knew they were going to have a baby because we were so fired up. We would talk to our friends who had babies. We went to our friends' houses who had kids, the whole thing. Then we had a kid. Whole different deal, isn't it? This is, this is, this is our first kid. It's night one. 
That's me and Ethan. And uh, this next picture is the same night. About half an hour later, we just started to snuggle. Look at that hair that kid has. He didn't even have to dye his. I did. Um, I sent him those pictures this week. What we were doing in, the, in those pictures, we were watching our very first Lakers game together. And I sent him the, the pictures this week because, you know, our families, like a lot of you, we've just been devastated by this, this tragic accident. And we've been praying for all the families involved. And uh, I, sent, I sent these pictures to my son, Ethan, and he texted me back. He goes, he goes, Dad, I've literally been watching Kobe play since I was born, huh? I said, yep. And we just talked about it. And I said, I've been madly in love with you for a long time, son. And then like we blinked and they were almost pushing us out of the hospital room. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't have a heat lamp at home like that. Like <laughs> who's going to watch the baby at night? Like, how am I going to sleep? I'm not prepared for this. There was, there was no background check. Nobody checked our references. No, no test. Nothing. I got gas this week and realized if I want to take gas home, I got to take a test. I put my credit card in the machine and starts asking me questions. If I don't get the questions right, I can't even get gas. But I can take a human home for life and nobody's going to even give me a pop quiz. Like, the system's flawed. And we took him home. And you want to talk about a game changer. The good and the bad. The long nights. The no clue what to do. And the endless hugs with your heart. So exploded you can't explain it, right? Like, when we took our son home, it changed the whole thing. I promise you, because I know some of you just haven't tried this yet. You take prayer home, it's going to change your life. You take the word of God as something that we just talk about here, and you start making it part of your daily activity on the days when you feel like he's speaking, on the days when you feel like he's not, on the days when things are going good, on the days when things are going bad. I'm going to pray whether I think you're listening. I'm going to pray whether I think it's working. It's just going to be part of my life. I'm going to build my foundation upon these things. I'm going to get close to you, God. I'm telling you, one of these days, you're going to look back, and you're going to go, I took this stuff home with me, and it changed me forever. It changes when we take it home because that's when it becomes our experience. It's got to be our experience. It can't be somebody else. It can't be somebody else's experience. That won't be enough to hold on to when the storm sets in. That's what Paul told his friends. This, this church that, that he started in Ephesus, they, they were going through a tough time and he's now going to write them a letter back. The church had, had started to explode and people are getting saved like crazy and they're getting saved so fast that that this, this town, this town is called Ephesus, uh, the way a whole lot of people made their money was selling idols. Well, all of a sudden, everybody's starting to get saved, and they're not buying idols anymore. And these guys, all the businessmen are starting to go out of business. The church is starting to put people out of business. So now, everybody in town's upset, and they're threatening these people with their lives. There's text that talks about actually grabbing hold of them physically and throwing them in the middle so everybody can go, yeah, let's go, let's talk, let's get... Like, they got to wash their back everywhere they go. 
Like their lives are on the line because of their faith. You want to talk about anxiety? Paul gets it. He says, I know you're struggling. You're in a storm. Let me tell you what's going to get you through it. For this reason, I kneel before the father. He said, I'm, I'm going to pray. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. We need that, don't we? That's where I need his spirit to strengthen me with power in my inner being. Because that's where depression is. It's in my inner being. That's where anxiety lives. It's in my inner being. That's where fear is. It's in my inner being. That's where doubt is. That's where confusion is. That's where hurt is, right? That's where I need his power to show up so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, that's the foundation talk right there, rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know, I'm going to come back to that word here in just a second, that right there, the whole thing hinges on that one word, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It can't just be something I know about. In fact, I'm not going to come back to it. I'll hit it right now. That word know in the Greek is gnosko. There's two different types of Greek words for that word know. One's, a, one's intellectual faith and one's experiential one, one is, I know about you. One is, I've experienced this thing. I know it differently. That's what that word know is. Go ahead and put the text back up. Sorry, I screwed y'all up. And to know, experience, this love that surpasses knowledge. When it becomes your experience, it goes beyond something I just know about. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul says, I know you're, you're struggling right now and you're going through some stuff and you need, you need to know God through your experiences right now. That's what's going to get you through the storm. Not the sermons you heard, not the stuff you've heard about in concept. It can't just be words. It can't be somebody else's story. It's got to be something that you yourself have experienced until you yourself have said, I'm going to hold on to God's word through hell and high water and I just won't stop. And then the season passes and you look back and then you go holding on to his word was now it's, it's my experience. It's something that I've done, not heard about. It's who I am. It's who I'm becoming. Paul says you got to have this kind of experience with God if you're going to make it through the storms in this world. And I was thinking about wedding vows and, and how like I get invited to, to a lot of weddings and try to make excuses for most of them, just saying. And um, I just do. And it's funny if you watch when, when the couple's exchanging the vows, especially if they write their own vows. I was at a wedding recently and I don't actually remember what they said, so I'm making all this up. But like, it was something like, like every single morning as the sun rises, I'll be there to remind you that you're my angel from heaven. Like it was like just crazy sappy, right? And you, everybody, every single girl in the place was like, oh my God. Oh. 
I want that. I mean, all the single, even single guys are like, oh, that's deep, man. Everybody married over two years was like, no, he won't. <laughs> Lie. Lie. That's true. In fact, I got to laugh, and I was in my car by myself thinking about this this week. I was laughing out loud in my car. I was like, you know what people ought to do? You ought to have to wait till you've been married two years and then write your vows. <laughs> now we're going to get some vows. <laughs> I'm going to stop. And so, so I have a whole comedy routine after that, but I'm done. And so I was thinking about me and Jill's vows and this like, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. I said it. She said it. Every wedding I've ever been at, for the most part, said it or some variation of it. I, we read it. We knew the, 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 we saw the wedding script. We even practiced it at the rehearsal. It was just words. It was just phrases. It was stuff we'd heard other people say. It was stuff we'd heard other people talk about. And it was just, it was really, it was just a ritualistic kind of thing. It's, it's kind of how some of us see prayer and time in the word, stepping out of our comfort zone and getting in a group and worship outside of church. It's just it's ritualistic things. Eh, I don't got time. When we were right before we left Illinois, it was the richest that we'd ever felt. We had just built a brand new custom home. Our friend was the home builder. It was like, I mean, we, we, there were two of us. And Ethan, there were three. He was that, that, that little hairy kid. And, and we had this like 5,000 square foot home, vaulted ceilings, hardwoods everywhere, granite everywhere, an acre of land backing up to a forest. You know how much it cost to build in Rockford, Illinois? 230. You can't get a storage unit in Denver for 230. You know what I'm talking about? But we had never felt richer. Got family in town, both got good jobs with our best friends, got a new healthy baby, got this huge house. Like, what else is there? And then one day I said, what, what, what if we gave it all back? We'll keep the kid. <laughs> keep the kid. What if we moved to Denver and we go start a church? Houses don't make a whole lot of money in short amounts of time. So if we can sell this house, we're going to lose money on it. So we're not going to have any money to get anything in Denver. In fact, since it's not sold, and I think we should go now, we're going to have to somehow pay the mortgage and live over here in Denver. And so we're not even going to be able to rent an apartment in Denver. We're going to have to find somebody to let us live with them for free. And neither of us will have jobs. And I know you're pregnant with our second child, but we're going to lose our health insurance. And the only way that we'll be able to make our bills on a monthly basis is if people in our lives have pity on us and send us money in the mail. And my wife looked at me and said, let's roll. And we came to Denver and we'd never felt poorer. And literally every single month we would look at our bills and then we'd look at what we have and we would just can't. And the only way we could make it is if people felt pity on us and sent us money in the mail from time to time. It's literally how we made it. And we were living in someone's house for free and the whole deal. 
see, now, for richer or for poorer, that means something to me. Because we got some experiences. It's not just a line. It's not just a phrase. It's not somebody else's story. I've experienced it. In sickness and in health. Like, if this is your church, you know my story the last six months. There was a time in the last six months when I was at a counseling facility out of state, and, and I, was, I was so depressed and suicidal that I couldn't get off the floor, and I couldn't stop crying. And all I could tell my wife is, it just hurts so bad. I couldn't really point to it because it was, it was my innermost being. And I just laid there for hours and hours and hours. Never, I've never been more pathetic. And she just laid there with me the whole time with her arm around me. And she just lay on the floor next to me. And she just kept saying, I'm here. I'm here. I love you. God's got you. And a couple of days later, we were, we were talking. She said, Sean, you're going to get better. I know you are. And I said, but what if I don't? Because, you know, when you're really struggling, that's one of your biggest fears, isn't it? Maybe it'll never change. And I said, what if I don't? What if I don't get better? And she looked at me without blinking. And she said, she goes, I'm not going anywhere. In sickness and health, till death do us part means more to me now than it did 21 years ago because we've had some experiences together that's what I want you to feel with your creator I want you to in the middle of a real tough time go yeah it sucks but I got a foundation that goes deeper than this problem and I'm going to stand on the word and I'm going to keep talking to my God and I'm going to worship till I experience freedom. And I'm going to lock arms with some other believers who will join me in this fight. Because I'm not going anywhere. This summer, I went to see my pastor in Alabama. And I, he knew everything that was going on. And he said, he said, let me ask you a question. He said, when's the last time? You have had a moment with God. Not in the Bible because you're a pastor and you got a sermon. Not praying because you don't know if anyone's going to show up at church and how you're going to pay the bills and what you're going to do about this. No, 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 no. When's the last time you put all that professional Christian stuff to the side, turned on some worship music and had a moment with your God? And I paused for a minute and I was like, he goes, that's your problem. You have forgotten your first love. In Revelation chapter 2, God speaks to that same church in Ephesus, that, that gritty, scrappy, I'm going to fight through it church. He says, you have persevered. He says, I'm so proud of you. You've been through so much. Let God speak to you right now. I'm so proud of you. You've been through so much. You've persevered. You've endured hardships. 
let, let the word of God just speak to you right now. Shut everything else out. I'm so proud of you. You've persevered. You've been through so much. Endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forgotten. You've forsaken the love you had at the first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at the first. So my pastor has this honest moment with me and then I went to a church service that night and they played this song that we're about to play. And I had a moment with God where I just knew like, God, I'm sorry. I've gotten way too busy and way too professional. And I'm going back. I'm going back to that kid who first fell in love with you, who didn't know how to pray. I don't know what to say, but I'll just talk to you, God. And I don't need a sermon. I just want to spend some time with you in the word. And I'm holding on for dear life. So I'm just going to flip on some worship music and just lay here, just be with you. And I'm going to lock arms with a few other Christians who will support me in this because I think you got a plan for my life. And I'm telling you, it was the beginning of so much healing in my life. And I've, I've been waiting six months to, to allow you to have the exact same experience if you want it right now today with your creator. At every single campus, will you stand up with me? We're going to sing this song. You guys can bring it on out. We're going to sing this song. And I just want you for a minute. Listen, you owe this to yourself. Take a moment. Shut out everything else. And ask yourself, where am I at? Have I gotten too busy? and too professional? And have I forgotten my first love? And if so, have a conversation with God and say, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm coming back. And you know what God does every single time? He's the dad in the prodigal story. He says, I'll run out to the driveway and I'll meet you like this. And I'll welcome you home, son. And I'll welcome you home, daughter. I can't wait for you to make this decision. I love you so much. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, let me pray with you. God, I believe you've got every single one of us here for a reason. You know what we've been through. You know what we're going through. You know what we will go through. And you know how you intend for us to persevere through all of it. And so I pray that your presence would be unbelievably tangible. I don't care if this is someone's first time to church. I pray they would feel your presence. And I don't care if this is someone's 20,000th time to church. I pray that they would feel your presence. And God, give us the strength and the courage to have an honest moment with you. For some, we'll pray for forgiveness of our sins for the very first time today. And we'll accept your forgiveness and salvation. For some, we'll pray for forgiveness for just getting too busy, getting too professional, getting too out of line with our priorities, and just say, God, I'm coming back. And I pray that we would literally be able to just sense you as our heavenly father saying, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. I'm so proud of you. I love you. I value you. I accept you. I welcome you in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. Let's worship.